Welcome to the Web3 Artist Spotlight, the podcast that shines a spotlight on talented artists who are leveraging Web3 technology to sell their art and connect with collectors in new and innovative ways. Through in-depth interviews, we learn more about the artists behind the art and uncover their unique creative processes, inspirations, passions, and the stories behind their captivating artworks. From seasoned professionals to emerging talents, we bring you a diverse range of voices from the Web3 community, and we delve deeper into how blockchain technology, NFTs, and decentralized platforms are revolutionizing the art industry. Alisa Betts is an Iranian-American artist and healer. His beautiful and vibrant art is an expression of love and positivity. Sibet is a community builder and collaborative genius. He has uplifted thousands of artists in and outside of Web3 and has worked with top brands like Tesla, Montblanc, and many more. And with that, Giancarlo and I welcome Sibet to the stage. Thank you so much for having me here. That's a really uh, beautiful and humbling uh, intro. Uh, I'm excited to be here. It's it's been a definitely a crazy and wild uh, couple of years, and we're going into a whole another season. I feel right now, so uh, can't wait to chat about it. Cool, cool. We love having you here. Uh, why don't we start off this way, Sabit? Uh, like, give us take about five minutes or so, and tell us a little bit more about you. You know, your story, your upbringing, and then segue kind of into like how you eventually enter this Web3 space. Uh, for sure. I'm sure a lot of people have heard me repeat myself a, a lot of times, but uh, I started out, uh, we moved to the United States in 19, I was 10 years old, and we moved to LA. And, uh, you know, I had probably I was drawing and doodling in a lot of my sketchbooks and uh, in my schoolwork uh, when I was younger, but it was more probably due to the fact that I was dealing with a lot of the anxieties of being a kid in a worried country with tanks and bombs and all sorts of stuff falling around us. And then moving here and being the kid, you know, the new kid with not being able to speak English, uh, I think drawing was also another escape, right? Because I was getting bullied here till all the way through high school, uh, even though I did speak English in high school. Uh, but you know, whether it was that or martial arts or something that, that was an outlet, uh, it allowed me to cope with what was happening around me and, you know, start to uh, figure out where I wanted to be next. Uh, in college, I studied advertising. Uh, it was, again, another accidental happening where a person that told me I need to transfer to a four-year college told me that I didn't have enough credits for anything else other than communications. Uh, so... I took it up and she actually says, she's like, you can do advertising as your, you know, emphasis. And I was like, what is that? She's like, you know, where pictures and words come together and they try to sell you stuff. I was like, yeah, I like that. I could do that. And uh, that's how I got into advertising. They told me I was an art director. Uh, I didn't know what that was until I got my first internship, which ended up being pretty amazing. And I was able to work on Kawasaki, AirTouch, Taco Bell, milk, tailor-made golf. So a lot of big brands early on, and I had no design skills. I had no illustration skills other than what I drew in my books. Uh, so I kind of had to be, you know, I jumped in and uh, they taught me everything. Now being a very anxious kid, 
Uh, after about six months of uh, the internship, I got a job at Foot Conan Belding, FCB Draft, which I was an art director, a junior art director on Taco Bell. So for nine months, all I did was Taco Bell, 99 cent burritos and uh, tacos and everything else. Uh, I joke, it's what got me fat. It's also what got me <laughs> my first <laughs> entire book in history on uh, how Taco Bell affected my entire life and uh, being in this planet. Uh, and then I left and I started Sabit Brands uh, because doing 99 cent burrito ads just didn't do it for me. And also I was a young, anxious kid and uh, having panic attacks in my office. And they're like, dude, you're not doing the job. So when they let me go, I just realized that I didn't like advertising, but I was more of, I had a knack for branding strategy and design. Uh, so I took the skills I'd learned there with my natural ability to brand companies and smaller uh, establishments where I could make an impact, like mom and pop shop restaurants, all the way to supply chain manufacturing and some uh, applications that you use today. Like I designed TikTok before it was TikTok, it was called Flippagram. Or if you guys have Thayer's Naturals in your bathrooms, everything from the design of the bottle all the way to the cap, the red cap, and you know everything else. And helping these companies go, for example, Thayer's went from $4 million to selling to L'Oreal for $400 million a couple of years ago was because of the redesign and restructuring of the company from a visual standpoint. Uh, so that was kind of my, you know, the the main corporate life that I had, but it was my own agency. I branded over 300 uh, companies over the course of 20 years. And uh, I always had one foot out the door. Alongside of it, uh, I was always drawing characters, wanting to be the next Hello Kitty or Sanrio type company. Uh, and I've tried millions of times without success. Uh, I've ended up selling the t-shirts from the trunk of my car for gas money and food at times. And uh, because of that, and, and finally figuring out that I was just a frustrated artist and the success really didn't matter, all I needed to do was draw every day. 2010 and Instagram allowed me to make Pixel Pop something of uh, an interest to people. So I started growing an audience. People started tattooing the characters on their bodies. I started to license them. Even though it was really, really small, it felt really good. And through that process of drawing every day, uh, my other style emerged. I started to paint the women and the skulls and the you know multi-layered paintings that I do now. And that was like a whole nother level of freedom. All of a sudden I was like, oh, I don't have to draw cute little bunnies for people to like me. You know, I can draw anything I want. And through that process, uh, another layer of healing started to happen for me as someone who had a lot of anxiety, panic attacks, a lot of different issues. Uh, I started to connect to a source bigger than myself through the creation process. And what ended up happening is that I went through a metamorphosis of becoming a healer. Uh, you know, not an active one today, but somewhat of uh, being able to help other people heal through their not only mental anguish, but also their physical pain and everything else almost instantly. I started to write a language I couldn't read uh, that has mystical things in it that I can describe later on. But all of these things happened through the process of like really dedicating myself to painting daily, which happened in 2015 after 20 years of design. And it took about four years to complete the transition from you know, designing full-time and taking care of my family. I, I'm also a father and a husband of 20 years with three kids, ranging from 19 to 12. 
13 actually his birthday was yesterday and he's a teenager i got a third teenager and all of this stuff basically uh, gave way to me being a full-time painter at the age of uh, 40 41 and uh, i've been making my living as a full-time painter ever since with the sideline of still creating characters and trying to build a character business as well so uh, and then uh, obviously all the other things that come along with being an entrepreneurial uh, artist, right? So, you know, holding the biggest NFT showcase in the world annually and uh, trying to get into products and licensing and everything else. And uh, that's how we are here today. Uh, I can, uh, I'll kind of pause here and then we can talk about how I got into NFTs. Yeah, no, I mean, this is this is awesome. And it's, it's so cool to hear your, your story. And there's a lot of things that I can relate to kind of having... You know, just going even back to like the beginning, right? When you said you immigrated into like the U.S. and being bullied in school and kind of finding, you know, using art as a way to kind of cope with that and 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 deal with some of those things. I, I you know, I, I moved here from from Colombia, from like South America, and you know, it's also like a really tough transition um, as well. So definitely can relate to a lot of what you talked about there, and um, and it's cool that like even though you went through you know, all this work and success in uh, the corporate world and then, you know, starting your brand, you always kind of stayed with the, um, with the art on the side. So that's, uh, it's really cool that, um, that you're doing that. And all of a sudden now that culminating and you actually becoming a full-time painter. So that's, uh, so I, I love kind of hearing that, that whole story and the arc, uh, you know, b- behind it, right. And how you got to, to where you are. And I was kind of curious, I mean, in terms of, um, you know, cause you talked about your art and, you know, you always kind of sketch and did things, um, where like the has the kind of like inspiration you know for some of your art come from and and what do you think has kind of like influenced the style that you've developed i think from a standpoint of the character work i've always been you know really really connected to the to japan almost in a more of an energetic way rather than me like looking through anime or uh you know manga or anything else right I used to walk around Hello Kitty stores all day long. I mean, that's that's maybe why, but I just saw that as success. It was a weird uh, way of looking at success. Was if I can go into, you know, if I can have a store that has these characters on stuff, and that's why I'm not so great at the story building part. But I love creating the characters daily. Right, uh, I'll create a ton of new characters on on the fly, whereas I would rather not sit there and build out an entire comic book, for example. Um, but again, that's that's how it kind of built. And then when I was always doodling and painting, because initially when I was doodling early on was to get rid of like the anxiety and stuff, a lot of the things that came out were character-based, but maybe not cute. And then when I would draw, I would try to emulate things, but I was never good at like looking at something and drawing it, right? I would ne- it would never come out. So I just started to kind of paint and draw whatever I felt. Uh, over the course of the years, you know, so it was the emotional stuff coming up. And some of the early work is fairly dark, even though there's cuteness in it, there's a lot of darkness in it. Uh, and then the, it was very confusing for people to look at because the colors are all bright and poppy, but then it says, you know, F this and F that and, you know, like really, really dark stuff uh, at the time. And then transmuting that and, and like really basically knowing at the same time having a resistance to learning right i've had only one painting or illustration class in my life 
And I always joke, I got a D in the class in college. And, uh, you know, uh, only because I was so resistant to learning. I always had this magical way of thinking where I need to be able to download whatever I create. And I've had it since I was a kid. And today, you, you see when I paint the girls or when I script, if you've ever seen me paint live or, you know, a recording of it, there's no thought, right? It's me stepping out of the way and allowing it to flow through. And then once something, you know, at first, sometimes when things are new, I do end up rejecting it. I'm like, eh, no, I don't want to be writing my own language. That's just weird. And then when it doesn't leave me alone, then I have to find a way to integrate it into my being. And, and then, you know, then I have ways of like separating my worlds. Like my character worlds are separated from my paintings. But then over the years, I was like, well, they're all me. I need to incorporate all of them together because they're all fine art. So, you know, I still go through those challenges with myself. But from a stylistic standpoint, when in 2015, I sat there and I said, uh, you know, I'm going to be a full-time painter. And I realized I wasn't really spending a lot of time painting. I supplied myself with as many different types of mediums as possible. I put them in a, literally, I went to Home Depot and got a giant toolbox, filled it up with markers and pens and paper and everything else. And I would go to the coffee shop every morning and paint like all day. And I would experiment with everything. I would look, not necessarily style or subject matter, but as far as like, I would just play and I would layer and I'd be like, oh, what about if I put acrylic down and then I did watercolors on top of it and then I used pencil. And then, so throughout that process, this way of the, the stuff that would show up and then I would share it because I decided to share publicly and grow publicly uh, be, based on the responses, I would reflect back and go, oh, why is it that when I was painting messy six years ago, my wife would be like, nah, this stuff isn't cool. Don't put, put it in the house. Versus now when I paint messy, it, you know, it, everybody wants it, right? It's beautiful and it's amazing and they feel all the emotions and everything else in it. Mm-hmm. And you realize that it's about the energy, the frequency, the vibration that you're painting with and that style really doesn't matter and it's more about your line and how energy and how you're able to flow that energy into that line and onto the canvas so for me style isn't as important as owning your line and that means that going through a lot of different uh, emotional and spiritual things and i always joke that i went from a whimsical artist to a mystical artist and it wasn't on purpose but i also knew that's where i would end up in a weird way so yeah wow that's fascinating and I mean, you did mention like you went through a lot of uh, like anxiety and kind of a period of healing. I, I was kind of curious if you could like touch a little bit more on like how did you make that change kind of like internally, right? Like to so you mentioned that like it was there was a lot of this like maybe darker energy or things like that, and then you managed to to kind of um, you know transition from there to like a state where you know, maybe more positive or, or better mindset that then was being like reflected in your work. And I'm just kind of curious like about your, how your emotional and mental state was maybe earlier on and what you did to, to, to kind of get to where you are now. When I, you know, I, again, as a child, whether it was turmoil in the home or turmoil because of where we lived, you know, as far as the war goes, which I didn't think it impacted me until later on. I, I was like, oh, that might have impacted me quite a bit. You know, I was always scared shitless. Uh, you know, having a, a fear-based life and constantly 
worrying about that you might not live to see another day, whether, you know, because that, that fear stuff stays with you, right? So whether we lived in uh, the suburban area and completely safe and everything else, I really never felt safe. So safety was a huge one. Um, and that caused also a lot of issues in the home and being married and uh, caused, causing a lot of problems because when you have anxiety, uh, the the issue is that you cause problems by, you know, sometimes it peaks into paranoia and you cause problems with your family, with your wife, with your kids, all that stuff where none of it is real, right? It's all illusions based on fear. And you live in that state of fear and, and complete, you know, paranoia and uh, sometimes terror consistently, whether or not your outside world is good. And there was safe spaces, like there was a coffee shop I spent basically 20 years of my life at, uh, where I felt completely safe, but still couldn't get away from my own mind. And that's why actually I feel like personally, as a designer, I'm probably the fastest branding guy you'll ever meet in your life. And I'm not saying that in a, in a cocky way, but it's just a very natural thing that would happen for me that I was very fast at what I was, uh, and I was very good at branding. So I could take an entire, you know, Forbes, Fortune 500 company, rebrand and restructure them in two days and allow them to go because I had become really fast. Now, I see that as the genius of anxiety. So as anxious people, most of us don't have a lot of time creating. So what we get, what happens is we become good at what we do because we only, and if we're forced to make the money, right, mm. with it. So uh, I, I would only have maybe an hour a day that I was able to work on a logo, for example. So my brain would go into overdrive. I would see the, the visual of the identity for that company, and then I would be able to execute it. Eventually, I even did a course on it called the Hypercreative Method. I did a lot of talks on it, and I saw it as a way of increasing the um, speed and quality of designers and creatives in the world. Uh, I was helping them increase their quality and speed uh, doing whatever they were doing through the hypercreative method, which had a three-pronged process, which was conceptual ability, technical ability, and heart. And heart had a lot to do with the state of mind. I called it heart because uh, later on I find out in the healing world, everything has to do with the energy of the heart. Back then, I just called it heart for some reason because I felt like that's where peace of mind need, needed to be. So for me, it was an entire um, search for peace and it was a search. It was always since I was like 15 years old, I was reading like Deepak Chopra books and looking for magic to, to heal this stuff. But it wasn't until 2016 when I went to Japan uh, for the first time again, all my paintings typically start out with Japanese brushes and inks and everything else. So I was connected to that from early on. But go to Japan, uh, it was a whole nother level, almost like a past life uh, kind of connection to the, to the land. And about 80% of my turmoil stuff just dissipated almost instantly by being on that land. So when I got there, I, and I had been through therapy and all this, all sorts of stuff and none of it worked, but being there for 13 days, uh, it was life-changing. And be, prior to that, what, what started it was daily painting, right? Sitting there and dedicating myself four hours, five hours a day to painting uh, started to connect me to what's called, uh, what I started calling the love vortex, where I actually felt something open up over my head. I felt completely safe. Again, that, that, that word safety. I felt safe, even though if I was in a coffee shop or uh, at home, 
And the piece felt more connected and it also had a lot more impact once it was shared. So I remember the first piece was called, I love this shit. And you can Google it. I love this shit by Sabit. And once I painted that, and it was a messy, crazy little piece. It was 13 inches by nine or something on paper. And I shared that piece online. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. But during the period that I was painting it, I felt like magical, right? Like floating. And once I got home, I saw all the responses. And that was the first time two people said the magic words that, that, uh, are for a collector is I want this. And that's when I sold the print of that piece for a few grand, which was incredible. And so you see the trajectory is going through painting as a way of just being. And then that leading into me connecting with, you know, Japan and, and really feeling that healing all the way to, and then to four years later, 2019, where I learned how to activate my heart with a very, very simple meditation. Uh, and uh, I did my first healing on someone's knee where their knee stopped hurting with, an, with just me thinking about it for about a minute or two. And it was a level 10 pain. It was a wild injury. And then uh, waking up the next day with having almost nothing bothering me, having zero resistance to things and everything that I had worked, you know, worried about for 40 years just dissipating and realizing that you, you can't really talk yourself out of your anxiety or your problems or your depression. You can't go... Through, I mean, therapy is great for the time being. I think it helps you kind of metabolize things and work through things. But the best way, and I feel like the only way to ever be free of it completely is to transcend it by raising your vibration and frequency through whether it's meditation or yoga or whatever practice that you feel right with that hap happens to activate your heart, open your heart. And that energy permeates into everything you do because now you have no resistance to anything and therefore everything you wanted in your life, it's not about matching your frequency to the car you want or the, to the house you want. The day I woke up after that first healing, I didn't want anything. I'd, I'd always been chasing you know, money and cars and houses just to make sure that my family is safe and secure. That morning, I could have been you know, in my underwear on the streets and I would have been happy. And it, it was crazy. It was, it was feeling in the world. And uh, to this day, you know, there is times where I fall into, you know, lowering, my vibration lowering and going, you know, going back into that fear thing. But I know what it feels like not to be in the fear zone. And I know what it feels like to have and hold a higher vibration. So I consciously make that different change. Sometimes it takes a day. Sometimes it takes a second. But uh, it's easier to transition now and uh, move into it. And, you know, a lot of reasons why it's been like, for example, recently, it's been a lot lower, uh, whether it's the market and also my responsibilities, both at work and home have gone up. And, you know, I put myself in a position again where, you know, things might go wrong, but then you can instantly change that by activating your heart and then you know, creating no resistance and things start working out magically again. I know this was supposed to be out art, but now I feel like I'm talking. No, no, but it's it's cool, man. No, we like we like to we like to dive into other topics, you know, because a lot of this is also about you know who you are, right? And and it flows into the work and the art and and, and everything about you, man. So no, this is this is cool, man. I, I, it's it's so interesting to hear uh, to hear that story and, and all that, and 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 just kind of thinking through a lot of what you said, right? Like. You, um, 
what I find fascinating is that it was almost like a trauma response you had to this, like living in a state of fear that actually led you to be, you know, very, maybe successful in like those corporate endeavors, right. And being able to like produce things very quickly because feeling like a, a lack of time. But then while you were very successful there, you maybe lacked, you know, maybe happiness and inner peace. And then by allowing yourself to really like take time to paint and to connect and, and even just hearing the story about you going to Japan and how that like that in and of itself was so healing. Um, it, it's just fascinating. You know, it's fascinating. I think a lot, I mean, I think this is also very helpful information for a lot of people, you know, because especially in this space, right? A lot of people, and, and even well, other, other spaces, not even limited to web three. Right. But, you know, a lot of times people may get caught up in chasing, you know, success or what, you know, what they think success should look like, right. In terms of material things or status or accomplishing things. And, um, that can leave people feeling very empty, you know, or, or stressed. And, and, um, so it's, so it's cool to hear from, especially somebody like yourself who, who actually is, is successful. Right. But, but actually that it, it wasn't doing or pursuing some of those things, but that, you know, actually finding this kind of inner peace and this, elevated state that is actually um, ultimately then helping you to really tap into your true self, right. And really, you know, create the art and do the things that, that, uh, that you really want to do. So, so it's, it's so cool, man. Yeah. I, I love, I love this whole thing. You know, so, so appreciate you really sharing that with us. Thank you. Yeah. I, I think, you know, when I look back, uh, I've always had my nice cars, whether I was broke or not. Right. But mm -hmm. the times I was broke, the, the car was, an anchor on my ankle. And not only my wife was yelling at me for, you know, why do we have a car like this, but your kid can't go to like, you know, I don't know, summer school or get tutoring or something like that. There was a, mm -hmm. obviously a wrong way of thinking about things when I was coming up because possibly lack of, you know, money management and learning from my dad where my dad was an airline pilot. He was very strict and he was very like, as far as like the way he managed things, it was always impeccable. So I maybe went completely the opposite way. So I haven't been very even keeled in a lot of those things. And maybe I was searching for, oh, if I have this car, I'll feel better about what's going on in my head and I'll feel safer and I'll feel like I have money. But it was never truly the answer. Uh, as everyone knows that, you know, money and objects don't bring you happiness. Uh, but there was a sense of, you know, uh, I, I mean, I would always put myself in pre financially pressured situations, right? If I had $3,000 for rent, but the MacBook Pro in, you know, whatever, 2003 was $3,100, I would spend it on the <laughs> MacBook Pro because I felt more powerful some way. You know, in some ways I was like, if I have this thing, I can make thousands of dollars. Whereas if I pay the rent, <laughs> you know, uh, it doesn't make any money for me. So uh, it, it was, it, you know, magical thinking can work for you, but at the same time, it could put you in a really horrible situation where you're always in a state of fear. So my entire career as a designer and branding guy, I was successful on some counts, right? Where sometimes I made a lot of money, sometimes I made nothing, you know, month to month. And I wasn't a, you know, go-getter as far as like chasing the next, because I wasn't like necessarily money-driven, but I needed to make money to take care of the family. So it was just a, it was just a mess, you know, 20 years of just really uh, going through a mess of like, I was good at something to make a living, but I never wanted to be doing it at the same place at the same time. Um, so yeah, sitting there 
and deciding 2015, I'm like, I'm a painter. Well, what does a painter do? He paints. And Mm -hmm. really making that decision to paint daily has so many different benefits. And then having to come home and still design to make the, you know, the bills, right? Oh, it's so those two things had to coexist at least for four years before 2019, where my last client left and I was basically making my living selling prints and originals and actually getting paid to do shows. So all my Mont Blanc and Furla and John Barbados and Gucci and whoever else that I did work with, I was actually paid to show up. Kind of like, uh, you know how uh, you hire someone to come to your kid's birthday party and draw for people? Mm-hmm. I was just kind of the same, but my audience was like middle-aged women and, you know, <laughs> some guys that like Mont Blanc pens and shit, you know? So, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> And I, I, to from a branding perspective, where I could put my signature next to Mont Blanc or John Barbados, or and I, we would make these videos and advertisements, and it looked like really legitimate collaborations that were corporate driven when they actually initially weren't. And then what happened was they became that. For example, my relationship with Mont Blanc ended up being a four year relationship of them flying me around, and at the end having a full page of love script in their, uh, in their basically their history book of artists that they've worked with uh, called Inspired Writing and having a full page in between, uh, I think, Frida Kahlo and Ernest Hemingway in a section called Strokes of Genius. And the funniest part is that page that I created with uh, was with a $5 uh, Japanese brush pen and not a $2,000 Mont Blanc. So <laughs> you never know where you're going to end up. But that brought tears to my eyes, seeing myself in that book. That was probably the biggest. And that was what I saw that happen while I was doing well in NFTs. And that was more impactful. And I, I couldn't stop crying probably for like 20 minutes after seeing that because of how, you know, it, it kind of culminated 25 years of like suffering and, and great work and bad work. That's awesome. So, and I guess I guess where I wanted to go next was uh, so maybe to complete the story, right? Because um, you did all, you did all this work, the branding, the, the painting. How did you then get into Web three? Like, how did that whole transition happen? From so twenty, this is twenty twenty one now. So two years, I've basically uh, tried to do my best, paying the bills, selling paintings on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, I basically utilized any kind of technology that would come that would make it easy for me to do something with it for the artwork. Uh, going back to like, let's say 2000 I, or whenever live painting, live uh, shows ended up on Facebook, I would paint live uh, these huge pieces and I would auction it off on online. In 2016, when I started to try to make a living a, a, as a painter, I learned how to sell my artwork to a small audience through doing programs uh, like flash sales and bonding curves, doing 30-day flash sales. So for me, it was about two years of probably three years of selling online in very innovative ways with very minimal use of technology, whatever was available to me, basically. I wasn't creating you know, huge websites and everything else. I was using daily auctions like I do today on Instagram still and fulfilling them manually. So for me, that's what I was doing for about two and a half, three and a half years. And uh, it was a lot of work, but it was 
supposedly my dream. And next thing I know, I'm the shipping manager of Ali Sabat, the artist. <laughs> yeah, that's my office was filled with boxes, and I would print and sign and put in an envelope, and then draw in the boxes. And I would have boxes stacked in this little tiny office. And a couple of people just told me, I think in the in in a two week period, they said, "Have you heard of NFTs?" And I'm like, "Nah, I don't know what they are." So I started googling it, uh, and then I realized that I had already seen, you know, the the, the what is it called, uh, Crypto Kitties, in, in Crypto, 2017. Yeah. But I didn't understand it, so I passed it by, even though it was about characters, even though it looked like something I had already done before in 2005 myself, which. I can talk about that too if you you want. Uh, we can talk about my social network. Uh, all of this stuff, I was like, eh, whatever. This isn't for me. But then in 2021, when it was showcased, I was like, all right, I'll I'll try this. And I googled it. Only a few articles came up. One and the one that came up just had uh, all the you know it had a list of all the platforms or the ones that were big like Foundation and OpenSea and uh, known origin. And I went to them and naturally I gravitated towards known origin because it was very, it was like something I would have designed for a client, right? As a designer. And I felt pretty at home with the user interface and the way it was structured. So I submitted my work. That was the only caveat was I had to submit to see if I can get uh, approved. And a couple of days later, I think I went through this weird, bizarre approval process where they had to DM you on Instagram and Twitter for you to get uh, to verify who you are. And then I was in. And once I was in to known origin, I minted my first piece, which is the PFP you see today on, on me that I haven't changed for the past couple of years, uh, called Galaxy Sailor. And it was an edition of 10 for a half of ETH. And I think I sold the first one within a day on February 15th. And my life just changed upside down because it, I didn't know what to do with myself. Once I sold that one piece and it was $800 and I was like, wait, what is this? And I remember being in a room <laughs> like, oh, am I supposed to pack this up, ship it? How do I ship this thing? How do I sign it? Like, do I print it for this for people? And I was like, no. And then the second one sold and the third one sold. And then I minted like, I think 70 pieces on uh, everywhere, right? All of a sudden I, I had, you know, nobody told me you shouldn't be minting more than one or something. Uh, and then uh, another amazing, and we were in clubhouses and spaces, uh, uh, clubhouses and Twitter. I have no idea how I got to either one. I didn't know. I don't remember what led me on to being on Clubhouse. I don't remember what led me on to being on Twitter because I had no outside influence. So somehow I found my way into uh, the socials. And uh, the next thing I know is I'm reaching out to, for example, I think the, the most pinnacle moment after I had done fairly well for about a week or two oh, I reached I, I commented on uh, whale sharks uh, one of his posts and I said hey amazing what you're doing in the space and I was full of gratitude when I was like doing this like I could feel my heart just open and I wrote him and I said hey uh, if you can please take a look at my work and he wrote back he's like I'm doing it now and then I went back to clubhouse and I think I started seeing these like you know, these notifications, one ETH, seven ETH, 20, whatever. Like, it was just something insane. And I was like, what's going on? So I went back to my Twitter and I realized that he said, who says that if you don't reach out to a big collector, they're not going to collect your work? If Sabit hadn't reached out to me 
uh, respectfully, I would have never known his history, what he's done, what he's created, and how much his work is amazing, and blah, 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 all this nice, nice stuff. And uh, welcome to the vault, my friend. And basically that night, I think he bought 70 or 80 pieces. I think it was something crazy, like $70,000 or something. And he went and stopped tweeting about it for, for a while. And that changed the trajectory. Now, imagine if I was like, listening to everybody else at the time where, oh, you got to be very precious about your genesis. Oh, you, you just got to put one piece up at a time. Oh, don't talk to big collectors. Or, you know, all of the fear-based stuff that was happening, I had no resistance to any of that stuff, right? I didn't hear it. I was like, oh, I get to put my work and share it with other people and they might possibly buy it. Well, put it everywhere and put it at a different price ranges so everybody can afford it. And the next thing you know, uh, you know, I'm the number one sales uh, artist on Known Origin within weeks of being on the platform. And uh, that still holds true today uh, with over, I think, nearly 5,000 sales on that platform. And that's just one of the platforms. So, you know, and there's different strategies over the past few years, past couple of years. There's been different ways of approaching the market. There's been different types of artwork, different programs, right? I always preach audience, education, programs to all artists that are on this, uh, you know, in this space. So that's that, that was kind of what propelled everything. And that's what got me into NFTs. And uh, I haven't left and I don't think I ever will. It's incredible. Um, and I was just thinking that on top of all of that, you have a long history of creating opportunities for creators to share their art. Because you're not just doing the art, you're also creating these opportunities for people, which I think is amazing. You created a site called Mojitsu in 2005 for artists to share their designs. And here on Twitter, you've offered open collaborations where I've seen thousands of artists uh, participate in. Why is collaborating with other artists so important to you? And do you think artists should collaborate with each other more? You know, I've always been kind of the accidental uh, community kind of guy, right? It was never on purpose. My purpose on this planet wasn't to inspire anyone. It was just to do things that I wanted to do and I love to do, right? I think it's, if it's like your mission to do things or I feel like being yourself is much more important than, you know, saying I'm here to inspire people. When I created Mojizu in 2005, it was out of desperation of like nobody giving a shit about my characters. And I was like, well, maybe if I, created something where other people could get attention for their characters, maybe mine would become known too. But guess what? The first thing that happened was so many amazing artists came into that platform that my artwork, because we were on a rating system, my artwork was like rated super low and it was kind of shitty art at the beginning anyway. So it just kind of went to the bottom. But I ended up cultivating a, a this huge website of 50,000 artists, this huge community of people who loved loved the site and there was this battle going on and all of that stuff and essentially if you look at it today it was essentially a user generated pfe project where we had licensing rights so we can sublicense the artwork and then the other art and then we could pay back the artist 50 percent of our earnings we already had instant merch shops uh we would make t-shirts in-house in the office we would make t-shirts with people's things uh characters and everything else and the next generation of it within a year, 2007-2008, was to create a marketplace where you could buy, sell, and trade mojis. 
Eventually, we created the Emojicon Dispenser, which was the first emoji app in the world before iPhones. So the emojis you see in your phone possibly might have been named after Mojizoo, but you can Google that on your own and, and make your own mind on it. But it's pretty wild uh, what an impact it made. So creating impact has always been fun and it's been always amazing to see, uh, but it was never like an intentional thing. Today, I do it because it feels good, right? It feels good not to be alone in the process of things. It feels good to, do, you know, share the success with others, even though I don't see it as a huge feat, what I've done. I don't see it as, you know, again, I've always dreamed of being here, but at the same time, I feel like there's so much more to do and doing it alone isn't that great. Creating Stratosphere, for example, which ended up being the biggest NFT showcase annually, uh, from the get-go, which we showcased 500 artists in 2021 in a 5,000 square meter gallery in Beijing, China, and showcased people on a 50-foot screen. I mean, those things, I, when I can do something like that, that creates so much impact with the help of others, it wasn't just me alone, but I'm at a place where people are willing to give me resources to do it. I think that show cost $2 million. It wasn't my money. We rented 500 screens. Uh, why not, right? Like literally, why not? There's there's no reason why everybody can't succeed together. And I do believe in infinite abundance. I believe that there's enough for everyone. And so when you create an open collaboration with one of my characters, it is an honor for me that people are actually taking it and putting it in their beautiful work because I love what I see. I mean, I love other artists. I always have. So it, it's just it's just another level of you know, being who I am and sharing it. And and then, of course, it has benefits, right? But I don't do it for those benefits. Uh, the benefits are everybody needs, knows Kiku now, right? Part of the Tokyo Punks world. Everybody knows uh, you know, Ryu now, you know, because all these other people so lo lovingly welcomed it into their worlds and then shared it. And then they were able to sell some work. And I think, you know, we sold over a couple of thousand NFT uh, or more uh, with uh, with the collaborations. And some of those artists had never sold before. So it kind of kickstarted them, not only selling more work, but really getting into the energetic and vibrational feeling of what it feels like to have others want it. And then they were on their way to do their own things more, you know, more often. So uh, I do them today. I'll continue to do them as, as long as I can. And I'll do these, even sometimes they're really hard uh, to do, like Stratosphere is difficult to do every year, but there's, you know, having no resistance to it, there's always incredible people that come around. Uh, I'll drop some, uh, I guess, what the youngins say, alpha here today. We're actually in talks with uh, <laughs> having a, a three being show, uh, showcasing, hopefully a thousand artists. We're, we're going to open submissions soon. Uh, again, as always, there's no gatekeeping. There's no uh, curation. Everyone's welcome. Who are we to say what's good art and what's bad art? And we're going to showcase everyone. And we're about to close the deal to do the show at a W Hotel in Beverly Hills. And it's probably going to be a six-month show in physical IRL. And of course, our partner Spatial is going to be part of it. And I'm working closely with Remix, R-E-M-X dot uh, X-Y-Z. You guys should check it out. And they might be a, a part of it on the NFT side. Uh, but as always, the opportunities that come, 
they're going to be for the artists and uh, there's no in-between direct financial gain from any of the parties that are joining, including Spatial. And for Spatial, you know, that just shifted their, you know, trajectory two years ago. Having 500 artists influx into the site uh, changed them from a corporate-driven website uh, to an NFT gallery website. And now they're even shifting again into more of a gaming uh, engine and all that good stuff. But it really changed them into a creative platform rather than something that was more for corporate usage. So it, it just impacts the space when you do good things. And uh, whether or not it comes back financially, you know, that's a moot point. I'll, I'll continue to draw and sell Jason no matter what. So it'll be fine. That's awesome. Thank you so much for answering that question. And, and just so you know, uh, my husband was definitely one of those people that was impacted by that positively. He had not minted any work until the Kiku collaboration came around and that's what got the ball rolling. So thank you very much for that. Wow. Thank you. I'm sorry, I'm smiling, but it, it really brings a lot of joy to hear that. Um, and I guess on the subject of um, Kiku, uh, since we, we talked about her, how did she come to life? Um, and she always gave me the impression that she's like this tiny superhero. She traveled all over the world. She cut her hair, I remember, for support as an ally to Iranian women. Is Kiku supposed to be a superhero? She absolutely is. Uh, she's got powers to manipulate time and space. She's uh, born probably millions of years ago or thousands of years ago from a, a mountain, not a mountain, but a volcano in uh, Tokyo. And she lives in Hyper Kauai Island and she's, she was actually a secret Tokyo Punk member. And she will be responsible for releasing the Tokyo Punks from their one-dimensional being. They were trapped. So when Tokyo Punks 2 come out, you're going to see uh, how they, it's going to change the trajectory of Tokyo Punks because of Kiku. So, uh, but the way she was created was that she was just kind of hanging, just like every other character that kind of gets created, they get created on a whim and then they just hang around my iPad or my notebooks for a bit until they kind of speak to me and they say, hey, you got to do something with me. And anywhere I put her, she kind of fit and then she also didn't. And I would put different backgrounds and it wasn't, she wasn't a Tokyo punk at first initially in my head. Uh, but then I did a couple of, um, I was messing with AI, did a couple of AI backgrounds and I was like, this is really cool. What if she lived in everybody else's world? And that's how the first open collaboration began was me as an experiment, but which is now kind of a, a you know, daily thing that I do or a weekly th thing that I do with the different characters of Tokyo punks. Not only it brings more attention to the Tokyo punks, but at the same time, uh, it serves as a conduit or, a, you know, or a spark for everyone else who participates. Wow. That's so cool. <laughs> It's pretty cool to understand like the backstory behind that. And, and it's so cool that you made that an open collaboration to kind of bring it into the world and, and let people kind of also, um, you know, incorporate the character into, into their artwork, man. It's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. It's kind of it's so cool because it's, it's really like a win-win in a way, right. You know, um, you're helping to empower and support other artists. And, and at the same time, you know, it's also, you know, kind of a, expanding your brand and everything. So I think it's, I think it's such a genius thing um, that, that you did. And, there was actually two other 
pretty noteworthy things that that you've done that that I've loved, and I kind of wanted to also call some attention to them here as well. Um, I think the first one was the X-ray Open Edition you did, where you like you basically said, okay, anybody who mints this is able to claim like a free art piece of yours every month, right? And personally, like I found that to be like one of the best art deals of the year because I'm like, dude, like I could buy this one piece and then I get to get a Sabet piece of artwork every month for the rest of the year. I was like, this is freaking awesome. So I just thought that was such a, just a cool thing. And, and I'm also a way to like really reward back, like, you know, people that, are, are part of your community and, and give a chance to more people to, to be able to collect your art. And I thought, you know, that's, that's so cool. And I wish, you know, more artists that I really like would, would do something like that. So I thought that that was super cool. And one of the other things too, was something uh, I kind of caught wind of more recently was that you actually created a whole record label to give creators music that's, copyright free dcma safe that they can use for you know their creations videos whatever right and, and not have to worry about potentially getting their their stuff taken down by you know instagram or something else like that so i thought that was kind of a really neat thing that that you also um kind of worked on as well and and then now you have this like open edition to um so that nft holders can basically get access to these tracks or some tracks um that are that are copyright free so i was curious if maybe you could tell us a little bit more about the the record label right and and what are your kind of plans for you know maybe continuing to like produce and distribute this kind of music in the future sure thank you so much yeah uh from from the record label the free stream started probably in during the pandemic 2020 and that was because I started noticing that the DCMA or DMCA, I forget which one it is, uh, were pulling me, pulling down my videos off of all channels. So like parts of my history were just disappearing, right? Uh, you don't own the rights to this music. And it wasn't a music that I overlaid on anything. It was just what I was listening to in the backgrounds while I was painting, uh, doing a live session on Facebook. And so in 2020, I, I'm like, what if I created a company called Freestream and hired a couple of producers to develop all these lo-fi stuff that I listen to typically. But, you know, other people seem to like it too. There's all these lo-fi channels on YouTube. So I think people like it and I'm going to develop as many songs as I can. So I think I developed over maybe 15 albums uh, of, of songs and I put them up. I actually put them all on Apple Music and Spotify and everywhere else. And people started to use them for streaming gaming and everything else that they were doing. And I thought it was a great idea, but it wasn't really life-changing money by any means. And it, But it was just great. It filled a purpose. And early 2021, I also, as I was doing well, I was like, hey, why, why don't... I saw people having problems in this space, minting music that they didn't own. They didn't understand that they couldn't do that at first, so they didn't do it on purpose. But a couple of people got sued. And I was like, hmm, maybe I should mint this for artists. And that's what I did. I minted the first one was Galaxy Sailor, the album, and it had 30 songs on it and people loved it. I think it was an edition of 50. It was a little bit more expensive at the time. I think it was like 0.25. Uh, but again, it was a different time, right? And and then I did it again uh, a few months later and it was another you know, edition of 50 and that did pretty well. And I decided that it was time for an open edition that was more affordable uh, which is like 0.019 now, like for 40 bucks, you get all 30 songs, you get a, 
personal print rights to the album cover, which is Lollipop, one of my favorite paintings that, I, that I've had. And yeah, I, I mean, I think I have enough content to be able to do this again uh, with other uh, albums if it's, you know, take it. You know, it was supposed to end yesterday, uh, but because of gas fees and everything else, uh, some of the community asked if I could extend it. So I extended the sale for another week. So again, it's still available. I think it's $36 but by, by, by the time you purchase it and everything else. So uh, over, I think, 80 have been collected. So that's been amazing. But, you know, again, this is just the use of, again, technology that is given to us by companies like Manifold and uh, other companies like Layer that are coming up that are giving us the ability to do things. Like when I was using live uh, feeds or live uh, shows selling paintings on Facebook, today I can mint an entire album and gift it to everyone, you know, or I can do something where... You know, we, I don't know if you guys know also, I gifted over 63,000 NFTs uh, with a collection called Originals. So if you own yeah. any of yeah. my pieces, yeah. So, and that I had help with, like Layer helped us build that entire drop and it went fairly seamlessly. But now I can, because there's 63,000 of them and Manifold just released the ability to burn some of those things, even though I don't like the burning process too often, unless it's for a specific reason. Now I can, you know, offer new work for people to burn 10, 15 or a hundred of those. Right. And a lot of people got a lot of them. Some people got like hundreds of them. Uh, and then obviously with, uh, X-Ray, thanks for mentioning X-Ray. I wanted to do my, my first open edition. I wanted it to be meaningful. I wanted it to not have to be burned because most people commented that they wouldn't want to burn my art. Uh, they would rather hold on to it. And I was like, all right, how do I allow people to hold on to it and still, you know, incentivize them? And that's uh, what, you know, how I came up with the idea of X-Ray. And again, and I was sitting on the couch, came up with the idea, and I literally hand-sketched the, the marketing for it, and I posted it, and it seemed to do really well. And we have, I think, 997 X-Rays out there. And uh, people just claimed, I think, their second one, which is called Truth. So... There's 10 more coming, and if you hold on to all of them, there will be a 13th that is going to be like a grand prize. Ooh, I'm excited for that. <laughs> I was happy to have taken advantage of the X-Ray. Like I said, I thought it was probably one of the best deals art-wise in the space, and also the, the, you know, the Lollipop NFT for, the, for the, the music, man. So yeah, definitely loved it, and so glad you, uh, you did that. Thank you. Thank you for supporting it. I appreciate you. Um, I had a question on the Healing Codes collection. Uh, I read that the utility of the art is to uplift and um, to give positivity to holders and to connect them with spiritual leaders. How have those experiences gone so far? And can new members still join if they wanted to? So we had, yeah, basically the, the idea was that it was twofold. There was twofold utility to to holding a healing code. One was that each one has its own level of frequency, energy, vibration, and chakra powers. And you can look at them because they were kind of like, uh, we, we made a visual application of how, uh, how much the powers were and all that good stuff on the website on healingcodes.io. So people got to mint them and it was almost as like the universe was giving them the piece that they needed the most at the time. And I've had people buy them and say, hey, my son was sick and he feels better after I bought the energy code and the healing code. 
or you know my animal was not doing well so that was kind of the first layer right and of course you're going to have a lot of people that are going to be like that's hokey and you know i should i think i don't know if i wrote for your own entertainment only so if you believe in this stuff and you like this stuff that that's what i believe and that's how i put it out the second part of it was to be able to give access to other healers and uh, healing professionals in the space, whether it was therapy or it was energy healing or it was yoga or whatever the case was, a platform where our healing co-holders could benefit from the healers in the space and maybe some people outside of it. And at the same time, you know, allow them to monetize what they bring to the space as well in the future. So it was about to uplift both sides at the same time. Now, because of the nature of the project and it being so heart-centric and so kind of, and then the art not being uh, PFE-worthy, again, like, or trade-worthy, we got a thousand, a little bit over a thousand of them minted. And I feel like the people who minted them really, like, understood it, but I never closed the mint, right? Uh, Because I wanted it to be an ongoing, open process, and uh, we're gonna we were gonna keep growing, and we held uh, a few sessions. Uh, I think every other month, and uh, we didn't get like a huge amount of people coming in, but it doesn't deter me again from continuing to do it. Actually, I'm taking it a step further by including it in the Tokyo Punks world as their source of power, and this is what I mean when my pure kind of sense of art combining with my you know my character worlds they all blend together, right? They're all created from the same place. They're all created in love. So bringing now healing codes to Tokyo Punks, and uh, when we did the Bad Bunnies drop, some of the Bad Bunnies had stolen healing codes. So now, in about a month or less, if you hold a Bad Bunny that's stolen a healing code, you're going to be able to mint a healing code for free. So it's going to be fun. I mean, it's about educating people on healing codes, kind of the highbrow stuff and the lowbrow stuff kind of coming into into uh, harmony with each other. And then, yes, I'm actually planning on doing a healing session myself for healing code holders uh, within the next month. Probably a Zoom Zoom call where I'll do a mass healing where I connect with everyone who wants to come in. And it's never too late to join the healing codes process. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that because I've been interested and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of your art. I have a lot of the originals all over my spatial gallery and I have one particular uh, lady that I got for my birthday, actually, that Carlos gifted me, which I used in my speech at NFT NYC on the PowerPoint for um, creating art in VR. So I'm stoked to join the Healing Codes community. Wow, thank you so much. I appreciate you. It is it is a lot slower of a uh, movement, again, just because of the uh, lack of initial interest, but it is absolutely the purest part of me. Uh, so it's, it's always going to grow. Yeah, I think what's so cool is how you're, you know, now start, starting to kind of like integrate all the different worlds, right? Like the, the image, like the characters with the healing, the, it's, it's neat. You know, now you're incorporating into the storytelling on the Tokyo punk side and bad bunnies. So I think that's, that's just so awesome. It's such a creative way to kind of blend all these different, you know, aspects of, of your creations and the stuff that you're putting out there. So man, that's, that's super cool. Thank you. Um, one other thing I want to ask you to stop it is, um, you know, so I think, and I heard you also in another space actually from my friend, uh, Meta, uh, David, a while back, uh, a podcast you've done with him, and you 
talked about like the importance of people trying to keep like a positive attitude and vibe. And even earlier today, right? Like on how important it is to kind of have that, um, you know, to kind of be in a good state, right? When you create as well, because a lot of that kind of transfers over or translates into like what you're creating. But, you know, it, it can be very hard right now. And especially, you know, right now in the space that we're in and, and you know, things have been challenging, right? In, in our space during the, the spare market. I think more recently now with like gas prices, I've seen a trend across the board that, you know, sales aren't as easy to come by at the moment for, for artists, um, you know, in the space. And, um, you know, so when you have that going on, you may have other challenges in other areas of your life personally uh, that can make it hard to kind of just keep up the positive attitude, the, the, the positive vibes. And so I just was kind of curious, like, what practical advice do you maybe have for people to, to be able to kind of keep that positive mindset despite, you know, the, I don't know, just feeling maybe defeated because of not, you know, not being able to make sales or just having other challenges. Um, any advice you can give on that? Sure. Uh, one thing I'll say is I spent two days kind of as a self-experiment like a couple of weeks ago. I'm just scrolling through Instagram and, and TikTok. And I swear to you, I was depressed for like two weeks. It was horrible. Wow. <laughs> oh my. I mean, the world was ending. The dollar was going to zero. We were going to war with China. I mean, you name it. And, you know, the aliens are coming. And, you know, <laughs> and, and like, just you name it, it's, it's done, right? And then you got spaces that, you know, echo that. And then you get into those spaces and now you're, you're part of that whole vibration and you get sucked in because it's also entertaining, right? Because when things are slow, you know, we're gravitating towards negative stuff because we're kind of, it, it reaffirms the shit that we're going through, but on such a large scale, now that you can blame, you know, us going to war with China and the dollar going to zero for the reason why we're not making any sales here, right? So it's not necessarily a positive mindset because positive or negative, you know, we're, we're going to have, that's going to come and go, right? It's your response to the negative thoughts and your response to the positive, whether it's positive or negative. If someone gives me a compliment, it's thank you. And then it's out the other ear. And same thing with like, if somebody shits on my work, it's like, all right, thank you so much. But, uh, and then it's out the other ear. So positive mindset and all that stuff doesn't really, I feel like it's not the necessarily the right way because our mindset can, is very fluid. It's constantly changing, right? You can't hold on to a positive mindset. It's, it's almost impossible. But what you can do is raise your vibration to a point where there's no resistance. And that's by the first thing you do is you get rid of all the toxicity by not looking at Facebook and Twitter and, you know, TikTok and scrolling. So the algorithm takes you down through, a, you know, to the deepest holes of the hell, right? <laughs> I mean, it's horrible. I, I mean, I, yeah. kids, my, my oldest is 19 and they're, they're still not allowed to, as long as they're under my roof, they're not allowed to have any social, right? And I'm glad I did it, even though a couple of times they might have had tears in their eyes asking me for Instagram. And I'm super glad they don't have it. But beyond that, you know, being able to bring yourself up to a high vibration, right away, one of the things you're going to see is that ideas are going to pop into your head. You're not going to blame everybody else in the world for not having any sales. What you're going to look at is, hey, I tried this. It didn't work. 
what's another program that I can approach and excite people and create a positive tension for people to want my work again, right? I've had dead parts where me and I would call Gabe, I'm like, is it over? That's it, right? I mean, this is like not selling anything, even as well as we've done, probably about 20 times in the past two years. And then all of a sudden you catch this like little wind as soon as you shift your vibration and you're like, I feel good about this and I feel good about the world and I feel excited to be here. The next thing you know, everything is working out just fine. You know, and it's, you know, relative to everyone. Someone might sell one at 0.001 and feel amazing. I might sell 50 of this edition to feel great for the day and all of that stuff. And then continue on to build and create better things, right? But as soon as you let yourself go into that fear state, like, I did. I mean, seriously, I was down. I, I had to call my dad. I'm like, I've been watching this TikTok shit. And I think we're going to war with China. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me right now? I mean, I'm like, yeah. if anyone knows, it's this man that's like flown around the world for 40 years and has lived with me and he knows what I'm going through right now. He's like, wake up in the morning, take two pills called I don't give a shit and move on with your life. <laughs> so, so I had to go through like a little reset, even though I, mm-hmm. I, can, I know I know mechanically how to raise my vibration. It had gotten me to a point of like just putting me back into this weird fear state. So it, I feel like if we can get rid of this stuff and just not look at it, don't go into spaces that aren't you know positive or exciting or fun or bringing joy to the world. Don't, you know, engage in watching the news, you know, unless it it's, you know, important for your life, you know, and livelihood. And I don't think any of us ha- have to watch, you know, the, the news. So a lot of those things have to be, you know, really curated the way you're living your life. The words you say, the words you hear, the, the things that you engage in are all important. But the biggest and the easiest way to raise your vibration is to close your eyes, think about people you love in your heart center, expand it like a bubble outside of yourself, expand it outside the universe, expand it as far as you can take it. And I promise you within five to 10 minutes of sitting there, your whole worldview changes, your vibration changes, your physical reality and the way you feel sitting in a chair changes. All of a sudden you're floating and then you have a spark for an idea. You have a spark for a painting. And now you're putting down energy and vibration that is good for the world. And guess what? Once you paint something that's coming from that place of love, well, guess what everybody else needs and wants? They want love. So if they can get it through your painting, that's 0.01 or 0.1 or 2 ETH or whatever it is, it's going to get bought. And if it doesn't, it's not going to bother you. You're just going to try again with another piece, right? So that's, that's what I think I would put out there. And that's what I do. I love that so much. That's, that's, I think that's great advice. And I agree too. I think that, you know, the element of like, it's important to kind of like surround yourself and, you know, with, with you know, people you love with, with, you know, the people that are going to help you feel better, uplift you and, and, you know, not people that are going to be kind of feeding a lot of that negativity and that fear. Right. So I think, um, you know, trying to control the, those inputs into your life is, is also so important, but, but I love what you said there about trying to lift up your, your vibration and, getting to a point where, yeah, like it, it doesn't matter, you know, what kind of what's going on and, and uh, that can really help you to overcome those things. So I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people might say, what is, you know, raising your vibration or how do you do that? I, I've tried it and it doesn't do anything for me. And 
all that stuff. But it's really a, one of the dis- most biggest disservice I feel like a lot of the spiritual books out there have done is always have talked about, you know, you got to match your vibration to the things you want. And I feel like after going through all of this stuff, it's not about that because the universe already knows what you want. It's about raising it to a level where there is no resistance. So all the stuff that the universe already, already knows that you want comes to you, right? And then the second thing is that I, I feel like there's been a disservice is that none of them actually really tell you how to do it, right? They give you these kind of like pie in the sky ideas of match your vibration to this and match your vibration to that. And then it comes down to, I, I think there is a couple of books that I do recommend. And the first healing that I did was after I read a book called Quantum Touch 2 by Richard Gordon. Simple dude says, this is a human ability to be able to help others and including yourself because as a as a healer, you're healing yourself first. And that's why all my emotional stuff dissipated in that moment is that, you know, you do it by either, there's two simple techniques that he teaches. One of them is like, just by staring at your finger for two minutes and breathing into it and seeing the energy going into that finger and starting to feel the tingling in the hand or, or the finger behind the nail, like that body awareness technique will raise your vibration almost immediately. And when I would do it at the beginning, I would just start giggling for no reason. I was like, why am I happy? Like the, the whole world is going to shit. And I'm like happy sitting here in a coffee <laughs> shop, like a, like a crazy person. And then the heart activation. And that's starting, you know, a lot of this stuff is also becoming uh, more acceptable. There's a lot more science behind it. Like Joe Dispenza, Dr. Joe Dispenza will share a lot of the uh, mechanics of why this works. Heart coherence and mind coherence really work. There's a website called heartmath.com that shows you how powerful our heart is. The vibration and the energy that it emanates can go miles out, if not all around the universe because of quantum entanglement and how we can impact our reality by just thought and our hearts alone. All of this stuff is becoming common knowledge. And I feel like we avoid it and we don't look at it and we don't we don't think it's real. And I am here to tell you that it's absolutely real and all of it is love and you can't deny that love is real. So I couldn't agree more. And I feel like, um, I really have experienced that. Um, cause like you said, I've read a lot of the books and I understand a lot of the concepts and stuff like that, but it wasn't really until, um, I started putting myself in like the spaces here and just allowing. And then all of a sudden I kind of just like, naturally connected to my tribe of people. Like they just kind of came around and I've had so many spaces, like even this one, where you could actually feel like that current of love (laughs) going through everyone. And it's so positive and it's so uplifting. And it's like, you really can tell that it really can change, not just people, but like you said, that thought bubble that goes outwards, it can really change the world. It's, it's pretty amazing. So, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Jenny, for sure. And I've felt that so much in, in so many spaces. And it's been so cool to really connect and, and truly like vibe with people here. Um, a lot of great resources. So thank you so much for sharing that, too, because I think a lot of people probably dismiss a lot of these things because they feel like it's like pseudoscience or, you know, whatever. <laughs> but I uh, appreciate you actually providing some of those resources. I would definitely want to check some of those out. But like so you mentioned, like heartmath.com. Um, I know obviously Joe Dispenza is very popular. 
Uh, and and then yeah, I think you said it was what Quantum Touch by Richard yeah. Gordon. That I there's also Energy Codes by Dr. Sue Mortar, and they all have practical things that instantly give you feedback. So you know the practicalness of the heart meditation, or I think Joe Dispenza has the blessing of the energy centers, which is the chakra centers. These are applicable things that you can do that you see the response almost immediately. And therefore, you won't want to go back. As soon as you've felt a higher vibration, which you've never felt before, you're not going to want to be dwelling in the lower stuff, right? You're like, ah, oh, this feels yucky. I'm going to go back up where I belong. And then at that point, too, that's why I said a lot of the emotional stuff that I had, whether it was anxiety, paranoia, you know, depression, or causing problems day to day because of how I felt. I thought they were real. Those feelings were real. They weren't. What happens is you transcend them. You kind of step above them. And then you look back and you're like, who is that person? And it's like somebody from like your past or something. It's, I feel like the alley of, of the past in 2000, you know, what is it? 1999 to 2000 is like a, like a basically somebody from a distant, distant past. I still remember what I was, but I don't get tangled into the emotions when I talk about it. I mean, there was times where I would talk to someone about what I was going through and it would like literally turn into a tornado of downward spiral just by talking about it. And both of us would be down and the guy, whoever was on the other phone line would be like, fuck this guy. <laughs> I'm never talking to him again, you know? So yeah, that's, uh, it, this is very practical. You'll feel it instantly. You just have to, uh, you just got to do it. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. Thank you so much for, for all that advice. I'm sure that's going to be helpful for a lot of people here as well. Definitely going to going to check more into that. And I know, I know we have Melvin up here as a speaker. Sorry, I know we've been waiting for a little bit. Um, thank you for joining us up here. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. So happy to be here. And I'm a big fan of Sabbath. I started NFT Journey from uh, 21. And I'm still uh, watching Sabbath's work. And it was a shame, like, we couldn't meet Sabbath in NFT NYC. Uh, so my full family is artist. My daughter is, all, is also an artist, and my wife is also an artist. So I was wishing to meet Sabbath in person in NFT NYC, but we couldn't. But we are happy that we, we, we were able to collect one of his artwork, you know. And uh, I had a question to Sabbath, you know, like, uh, I was having, like, a big argument with one artist in NFT NYC. He was telling like his job is just to create art, but I was telling like, okay, you create art, but why can't you talk about it? You know, like, why don't you show it off? You know, like, uh, so the, he was telling like, I don't want to uh, talk about my work. I just want to create art, you know? So, uh, but in today's world, I think uh, the artists need to talk about his journey, you know, like his achievements or success or failure, whatever it is, you know, I believe in that. And I would like to know more about your insights, Sabeth. Absolutely. And thank you so much, Melvin. Uh, I'm sorry I wasn't there also, but uh, just decided to take this year off uh, to be able to concentrate on what's coming next. From a perspective of what somebody else wants to do with their life and their art, I guess it's their prerogative. I mean, if he's trying to sell it, of course, it's a different uh, issue than if he just wants to paint, right? If he's a painter and he's an artist and he just wants to do his art, I think it's you know, it's totally fine. But once you try to sell your own work and you can't rely on anybody else to do it for you, you're right. 
you need to be able to talk about it. You need to educate your audience. You need to build an audience in a community. And then you need to be able to educate them on what you're working on and how you're working and why you're doing it so people can find a way to join your journey because that's what collectors do. Collectors are excited to join your journey and to say, hey, I was there when he did his first one. You know, I still get people coming up to me and say, you remember when you were just doodling at the coffee shop? I'm like, yeah. And, you know, and I think it's, you know, I, I met you then. And that's really cool, right? I mean, it's, it's part of that process and, and story that they want to be a part of. So if you can consistently do that through your journey, no matter how much you've done, I think you're going to continue to see some sort of an, a level of success. Now, getting into an argument with him, Melvin, that's another story. So, I mean, there's no reason for you to be arguing with somebody just because they don't want to share their art, right? The guy's probably just happy drawing for himself, and you should just leave him alone. <laughs> yeah, so the argument was like, uh, he was feeling like his work is not sold, and he's not ready to talk about it. So I told like, Web3 is giving every artist to become like a creative entrepreneur, not just like an artist, you know, like, so you are the salesman here, you're the marketing person here, you are the branding person here. And this is your product, you know, just do it, you know, like it's, uh, and we are talking about our product. There is no supervisors, there is no managers, you know, like you're creating your work and you're talking about your work and people are, if people connect with your story, if people connect with your art, they are buying it. That is a beautiful moment, right? So, uh, why can't you do that? That is that was my question, you know, like... Uh, so. I mean, that sounds like just a lot of resistance, right? That's a lot of resistance due to, again, a lot of the personal issues that he probably has. He might be shy or he might not like it, but he might put a defense up towards you and say, hey, I just don't want to do it. But it might be just fear-based of like not wanting to sound bad when he's in a space or not wanting to tweet too many. A lot of people don't tweet more than once when they mint something because they feel like if they minted uh, tweeted twice it looks bad on them and they look desperate whereas like if i mint something that i'm proud of and i like it and i think it'll bring value to the world and the people who collect it i am shameless like 17 18 times a day i actually just learn how to schedule my tweets so when i'm sleeping I'm going to be tweeting again because when i was in the nft space in the beginning gabe called me yesterday he was like you had the craziest nights when you started. I go, yeah, I was, I was going to bed at like 7 a.m. because, and he's like, for that, you also had a different market. You had like the Chinese market, you had the Europe market because you were up all night tweeting. I was like, oh my God, out of our two hour conversation, this is probably the best thing you could have reminded me of because I'm going to schedule my tweets. So when I'm sleeping, I could be tweeting the work that I'm creating, right? So, you know, I feel like those things are personal resistance that he's going through and when his time is right and maybe he's in the right time and place where he kind of realizes that he can rise above it and find his own way of sharing his work without feeling bad about it i think he's going to be fine but uh both of you are right with that said i actually have to step into another meeting and i thank you Giancarlo and jennifer for having me up here it's been incredible uh i feel so good about this space it's just been energetically really really happy and positive which i haven't seen uh, in a long while so thank you for holding these spaces they're invaluable for everyone 
Yeah, I'm so glad you felt that way because I definitely was feeling a lot of the the love and the positivity here. And uh, but yeah, no. So I, I one thing I wanted to get your thoughts on Sabit was, um, you know, your views kind of on the, uh, you know, how you see like the Web three art space evolving like over the next five years. What are some of the big things that you see probably potentially happening or, or coming into the into the space? You know, I tend not to live too far into the future, and I'm not so much. Uh, good at being a futurist by any means. Uh, but I do feel like there's a lot of people building right now tools and technologies that are going to just make it more and more easier for us to uh, put our work out there, right? Uh, Layer, for example, my my dev team is developing Layer.xyz, where it's going to be like Manifold. It's going to be, uh, you're going to be able to mint on your own platform, but they're also building it so you can build your own little website like Squarespace in it. And then you're going to have analytics of checking out everybody's wallets who owns your work. And you're going to be able to cross-check and examine, hey, you know, 20% of my holders also hold Bored Apes and Asabit. That's really cool. So, you know, those are some of the things that you're going to see happening and they're already happening, which gives me and makes me a lot more bullish on the space. To, you know, those of you who are not selling right now, who are not doing well, I feel like that there's going to be an influx of people slowly coming in here. And the paradigm shift will be where it goes from NFTs to being digital collectibles. And there's going to be more marketplaces that are easier uh, on the eyes of the main consumer to be able to purchase and collect your, you know, your digital collectible. Kind of like how Reddit avatars are doing. I just did a Reddit drop and that was really amazing for people to be able to buy it directly through the app using a credit card. You're going to be able to make your own websites and selling your NFTs on your own websites and making sure that you get your secondaries because you're going to have your own audience. I mean, where were we selling our prints? We were selling them on our own websites. And now we're going to be able to sell our NFTs on our own websites because our audience is going to trust us enough to be able to come and connect a wallet. And of course, wallet safety is going to be a, a huge thing where I feel like it's going to be a lot easier to log in and not worry about getting scammed, or at least there'll be two or three different steps in between that'll stop that from happening, hopefully. So all of these things are going to just make it easier <clears throat> for people like us to be able to share our work. Uh, I feel like there's an incredible, incredible, I just got a preview of Skirpy. I don't know if you guys have heard, heard of Skirpy Town and Skirpy.com. I think it's .com. Mm. I mean, I got a private viewing of it as somebody who had started a social network for artists 20 years ago, nearly 20 years ago. And we had a lot of these things that I felt like was missing in today's world. For example, an entire social platform built into the NFT platform. You're going to see that coming from, you know, from Skirpy. That's incredible. I mean, he's, he's just so passionate and it was weird. I was FaceTiming him and, uh, I got, I'm like, my head's shaved now and I got a bald head and I got my gray beard and I'm looking at this 27-year-old. <laughs> so excited. He's got his full head of hair. He's excited about his project. And I was like, wow, this is like like a t like time travel. That was me in 2005 when I launched MojiZoo and how excited I was. And we have those people that are, I mean, he did it with like zero money. He didn't, I got, a, I had a million dollars in funding when I was 27 years old and we built that thing. He did it with zero and it's so much more robust than what MojiZoo ever was and what any of these platforms are today. So you're going to have this incredible place where you're going to be able to not only share and sell your NFTs, but you'll be able to do these voice chats and you'll be able to 
earn points for participating. And so there's a lot of people building around it, even though the market is down. And that I see, I just see goodness in, in this uh, all around. You just have to be able to weather what's going on right now. And uh, it could all turn, uh, turn on a dime. And even in this bear market, you know, when I did the between my own work and the open collaborations, I think we sold 4,000 NFTs on known origin alone in the past uh, six or seven months. And it was all in the bear, right? So again, not paying attention to necessarily what the, uh, everybody else is talking about and going against the grain. Once I saw that I wasn't selling, there was two things I could have done or three. I could have stopped selling just to wait for this to be over. I could have raised my prices and lowered my additions and said, hey, if it sells, it sells. Or I could have made it more abundantly available by going to additions of 200 and bringing my prices in the double digits, dot double digits, which I'd never had done before, right? 0.05, 0.06, whatever it was. And guess what? It worked. And people were able to collect it where, where they had never been able to. And so these are the things that I feel like you have to keep in mind as you bear through this. But there's going to be a lot of support and help and love coming, not only from the big brands that are going to come in, which will legitimize the space in a lot of ways, but at the same time, give opportunities to artists to be able to join when they can't sell themselves. They can always join a, a bigger brand uh, to collaborate with and earn a living doing art. And then the third being, uh, you know, some of us are going to finally be recognized for what we've done in the space in the periods that nobody else knew we were here. Wow. So much great information. Thank you so much, Sabit, for coming today. I know you got to run, so I really appreciate it. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Thank you again for joining us. And thanks to everyone that was here listening today. Also really greatly appreciate you guys so much for, for being here, for supporting. Um, hope you all have a wonderful Friday and a great weekend. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>